So tonight we're continuing in our series, our foundational series. And um, when we started this series on foundation after, I think it was a week or two after our vision night in February, I shared with you that we would uh, be talking about three different subjects, that we would be talking about faith, that we would be talking about the Word, and that we would be talking about church and community. And we spent five weeks talking about the five different subjects that make up what a person should have inside of them, which is a statement of faith, that, that each one of us individually can know that we believe in. We, we need to know who we are in Christ. We, we, we need to understand what true repentance is. I'm talking about these are foundational truths that God has revealed in His Word that are vitally important to, to every individual that has been created. And when you, begin, when you become born again, it's so vitally important that you understand what true repentance is, what water baptism is and the benefits of that which we talked and taught on, about the Holy Spirit and understanding the person of the Holy Spirit and also understanding the importance of the church and what, what the church is and what the purpose of the church is in this community but on, the plan, on planet Earth. And, and so we talked about those things. And so in the last three weeks, this is the third week, we've been on the subject just concerning the Word of God. And uh, over, the, over the last three weeks, we have, number one, talked about hearing the Word and the importance of, of hearing the Word of God. And last week, we talked about the importance of reading and studying and memorizing and, and observing how to do the Word of God. Because if you if you don't observe and meditate and study and, and take the things that you hear, if you don't process those, then there's nothing really that you're going to be confident to do. And tonight we're talking about actions. We're talking about acting on the Word of God. Uh, the importance, number one, two weeks ago of hearing the Word. Last week, the importance of studying and memorizing the Word and making it a part, having a regimen on a, on a regular basis where you allow yourself to spend time understanding the Word. And then tonight we're talking about acting on the Word. Um, I, I want to I start out with looking at James 1. And I want to talk about what I think is the, ma the major obstacle in people's lives that I see in Jesus' ministry and all through the, the epistles, um, where I believe that there is one major obstacle to acting on the Word. One. One major obstacle. And in James 1, in verse 22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. It doesn't say don't be a hearer. That's why we're talking about being hearers. It's important to hear the word. 
But he said, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He observes himself and he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of a man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and continues in it, he who looks into the word, the word of liberty and freedom, and continues in it, not the word of condemnation and, you know, and, and, and the focus of the problems, but who looks into the, the word of liberty and freedom. When we begin to see who we are in Christ, we begin to find out that we're free. We've been liberated by Jesus Christ. And he said, he said if we look into this law of liberty and we continue in it, not being forgetful hearers, but doers of the work, this one will be blessed in everything that he does. So everything that you do will be blessed if you hear the word, you observe, you study, you meditate, and you do it. And so tonight we're going to talk about the one major obstacle that stands in the way of people doing the word and acting upon the word acting on the things that we know. And, in fact, I want to read one more verse that kind of goes with that James 1. We read it last week, but there's one part we focused on last week and another part we're going to focus on tonight. Joshua 1.8. And he said, And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you'll do what? You'll meditate in it. How often? Day and night, day and night, day and night, meditation, day and night, that you may observe. So the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, you're not going to be quick to just talk stuff and throw things out there. Not going to be quick to, to be somebody that just hears a truth and then runs with it. No, we're not going to hear a truth and then just run away with it. But we're going to hear a truth and we're going to meditate on it so that, watch this, so that you can observe to do. You ever been at an observation desk? You ever been somewhere that you're overlooking? When we were in Israel, we were in, uh, we were, where were we? Where we sat at that desk. Oh, it was, a, it, was a, it was a gift shop that the Dead Sea was on one side of the road, and on the other side of the road was this, this, uh, this area that had a gift shop and an observation desk. And you were able to go up into this little booth and just observe the Dead Sea and look at it and, and look at how far reaching that it is and how it used to be so full and now it's like, you know, there's so much of it gone and it's not there anymore and they're trying to figure ways to get water into the Dead Sea and we're in this observation desk. And what do you do in an observation desk? You observe. You know, and, and if you're in an observation desk by yourself, you're not talking to anybody. You're just observing. All of a sudden, you're observing, and if you have any understanding of the Dead Sea, if you have any understanding of that area, man, your mind's just, man, 
what happened here and what could have happened here and in those Bible days, what happened here and your mind just going. Joshua 1.8 here says that we've got to be hearers that meditate. And as we meditate, then we position ourselves in this observation desk and we're, in, we're observers of what the truth is, so then we learn what to do. And I think that, I think that one of the key things that we miss is observing. And when you hear the Word, and then you meditate on the Word, and you spend time studying the Word, and you're memorizing the Word, think there's a place in there, and, I, and I'm, I'm talking, I feel like in a real elementary way, but it's important that we, that we understand how to develop relationship with God and how that the Word can become so real to us that when we do it, we get results. Everything that Jesus did that the Father told Him to do, it worked. Every single thing. He never did what he thought. He always did what Father said. And it's no different today. And one of the reasons that a lot of things don't work for the rest of humanity, or they haven't worked for the rest of humanity, is because many times we do what just comes to the top of our head instead of spending time observing. Observing. What would God have me do? What would God do in this situation? What is God really wanting me to do? Maybe what seems right isn't necessarily right. Maybe what seems like the logical thing to do isn't necessarily the God thing to do in a situation. So the more we keep our mouth closed, and the more we meditate, and the more we observe, then we learn to do. And what I think that I want to talk about for the next few minutes is is the major hindrance to doing the Word is unbelief. Unbelief. So I want to look at this Word for a minute, and then I want to take it to a positive perspective, and let's focus on how to be liberated and free from something that's going to keep me from being a doer of the Word. It's going to keep me, it's going to demobilize me from doing what I'm supposed to do. So, I want to define unbelief and a couple of words that go with that. One definition from belief is a rejection of belief. Duh. A rejection of belief. To reject something. Another word that is a, a, a synonym of unbelief is skepticism. And skepticism is defined as disbelief of any claim of real truth. 
disbelief of any claim of real truth. A definition for disbelief is to distrust, to not trust, to disbelieve, to not believe, to disfaith. In other words, a choice is made not to trust, not to believe, and not to be in faith. It's what disbelief is. So, my ultimate definition for unbelief is, unbelief is a choice, okay? So, it's to choose what you see over what you believe is true without visual, visual evidence. I'm going to define that again. Think about what, how I'm defining this. I, I, I added, I took definitions and made this up. To choose, unbelief is to choose what you see. It's to choose something that you see over what you believe is true that has no visual evidence. So, if I'm standing for something that God has revealed to me from His Word that is true, and yet, in the natural, it doesn't feel like it's true, it doesn't look like it's true, my head is screaming out that there's no way it could be true, and that there's no way that what God's Word says will happen will happen. That's disbelief. That's unbelief. That's skepticism. That's being, that's believing more in what I see in the natural than what I believe that has no visual evidence. Okay? Now, what I'm telling you tonight is that in your and my life, unbelief must, it must, in no uncertain terms, it must be destroyed. Can you say amen to that? Unbelief, disbelief, skepticism must be destroyed in your life. So that you can act on what you are believing, what's being developed inside of you, you can act on it even when you don't have any visual evidence that the thing is true. Because the more that you act on what you don't see, the more you step out in faith believing in the things that don't appear to have any way that they're going to come to pass, the more you do that and practice it, after you have heard and meditated and observed, the more you step out and do it, 
the more you'll become accustomed to believe this versus what you see here or here. Because you're going to see something and you're going to be listening to something. And all I've been encouraging you about in the last few weeks on Wednesday nights is just don't quit hearing the Word. Just don't quit listening to the preached Word. Now, look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 and verse 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Watch what they said. Is this not Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Now, the truth of the matter is, he told them where he got them. Right? But they were more moved by who he was. Well, you know, we, we've lived with this guy, you know. We've lived with that snotty-nosed kid for all these years. I mean, who in the crud is he? I mean, he's Joseph's son. He's been a carpenter all his life, you know. He's made a few scenes in the temple, you know. He, he's been in there, you know, spouting off and listening and saying that he knows this thing and that thing and reading and, and, and acting all super spiritual by showing up to church all the time. I mean... You see, that these things are going through their minds. I mean, he did these things. He did all this. So how can that be? Well, he told them how it could be. At this point, he's already told them where he got this from. And the reason that he has wisdom like this is because he's connected to the Father. How? By the Holy Ghost. I don't know about you, but to me, that's real simple. It's to the point, okay? But to people that have no understanding, it doesn't mean anything. They're offended or they're upset because he says and, and is doing what he's doing. Watch this, verse 57. So they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Verse 58. Now he did not do... Many mighty works there because of their unbelief. See, they weren't acting on what they heard. They weren't meditating on what they heard. They weren't observing what they heard. And because they didn't act, that one ingredient of unbelief kept them receiving. I mean, dog. He was, everywhere he went, miracles were manifesting, and they were ticked off because he was somebody that they knew. That's for another time. Matthew 17, 
Matthew 17 and verse 19. Jesus had commissioned his disciples to go and lay hands on the sick and see the sick recovered, told them to do several different things. He commissioned and gave them a down payment of what it was going to be like after the day of Pentecost. And at verse 19, it says, And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast, out, cast it out, cast out the demon that this, that this boy had? Why could we not cast, out, cast it out? Verse 20, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. He said, if you have, if you have how much faith? If you just have that much faith. You know what that means? You know what he's meaning? You know what he's saying to him? If you'll just meditate and you'll just act on the little bit that you have, it's not, it's not all that you have. It's what have you done with what you've heard and how have you applied it to your life? And if you'll just do that little piece, what could happen? What could happen? What, what, what could manifest as a result of what you choose to hear, to observe, to meditate, and then to do. What, what could happen? He told them that the reason, the reason it didn't happen through them is because of their unbelief, their disbelief, their skepticism. They didn't believe that this could happen. Well, you know, I mean, Everybody sitting in here tonight has been skeptical, probably at one time or another, of certain things that the Bible says are in the kingdom of God. Everybody's been skeptical. Everybody's had unbelief. We have to destroy unbelief. It's not like we came in clean into the kingdom and then unbelief attached itself to us. We came in with unbelief, and we've got to destroy it because it's, it wants to keep us from embracing and receiving all that belongs to us so that we can make a difference because God is here. He's here to bless us to do what? To be a blessing. He's here to empower us to be a blessing to other people. He's here to change our thinking so we can help other people change theirs. Unbelief must be destroyed. Amen? Hebrews 3, look at this. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. And he said, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That there be an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Verse 16. For who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest... 
but to those who did not obey. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of disbelief, of being skeptical, of unbelief. They could not enter in to the promises of God and what God had intended for them because of unbelief. Now, when he's talking about an an evil heart of unbelief, he's talking about people in the wilderness that allowed disbelief to take root in their heart. These people, these people for hundreds of years had cried out to God to be delivered, to be set free from the bondage that they were in in Egypt. For hundreds of years they cried out for a Savior to come and rescue them. And so the Savior comes, they, they rid Egypt of all their wealth and possessions, so they're leaving Egypt and they, and they left Egypt with wealth and riches and a vision and a destiny and a plan. God led them out of Egypt to lead them into the promised land. Anybody that ever teaches that it was God's will that they die in the wilderness, that's not what the Word says. The Word says that they were led out so that they could be led in. And it was their choices to not destroy or come against what they saw and choose to believe what God had said. And you know, it's something that is elementary in one sense, but it is something that is so profound in another that if we don't understand that we cannot be moved by what we see, but we've got to be moved and impacted and empowered by what we believe so that no matter what comes our way, no matter what comes to your house, to your life, to your body, to your finances, to anything else, you will not be moved by what you see. And listen, listen, the belief system in you is what is developing what you need for breakthrough when you need it. Today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, it's the belief system that we're establishing and ridding ourselves of this unbelief system that we live in so that we can handle anything that we're faced with. God intended for the church to live like that. He intended for you and I to live this this way. So he says in the fourth chapter, in the first two verses, therefore since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest anyone, any, any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed, watch, here's, the, here's what happened to him. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, meaning the children of Israel in, in the wilderness. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith with those who heard it. The problem was, the problem was, wasn't that things weren't spoken to them. It's not that God left them out there to fend for themselves. I mean, I mean, fire by night, right? Clouds and, and, and vision and food and everything that they needed, provision from every direction. He was making sure that they were taken care of out there till they got to the, to the promised land. But you know what he knew? He also knew that there were some things that weren't right with them. 
And all God was trying to do, I mean, we're talking about a three-day journey. We're talking about a three-day journey that took 40 years. That they could have been there, maybe not three days, but maybe a week or 10 days. I mean, a very short journey. But the Bible says that God didn't lead him in the path that was normal. He led him in a different path. And that path was intended for them to grab hold of their kids and their wives and their spouses and their friends and get an agreement and believe that when they came up against the Red Sea, that God would deliver them. And that when they had situation where there was no water, that God would deliver them. And then where there was a situation, you know, where there was no food, that God would deliver them. But you know what happened? They complained all the way. They were moved by what they saw instead of what God had said. Because God had given them the word. God had given them everything that they needed, but he knew some things needed to be worked out of them. So instead of something taking about a week or 10 days, you know, they could have been in the promised land in six months to a year. If we do with what we hear and we meditate on it and we study it and we observe and then we begin to step out and act on it instead of just staying complacent and being locked in to how we feel, how it looks, and how all the circumstances around us are telling us the future is going to be. I'm telling you, this is the future. This is the future. And you know what? It's already been written out. Everything that you will ever need in this life, all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the understanding that you will ever need is in this book. And as it's revealed to you by the Holy Ghost, and you observe to do what you're supposed to do, and you do it, how many scriptures have we read that you'll be successful at everything that you do? Everything. God created us to be successes. And, you know, we've all fought with it. We've all dealt with it. We've all had issues. We've all had problems. We've all failed. We've all, you know, felt like failures. We've all let our past try to dictate our future when he said One thing you need to do, forgetting what's behind, press toward the mark of the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus and move forward. Amen? Constantly be moving forward. You know what? And the thing about that is, most of the time when you're moving forward, it doesn't feel good. I'd rather just be sitting. Sipping on some tea and just remembering how it used to be. That's no good, not just for you, but it's no good for anybody. It's no good to sit around and do nothing. No good to continue to stir vision up on the inside and seek God for wisdom and understanding. It's no good for anybody. I'm telling you, as we get, as we become so familiar, not in a negative way familiar, we become so familiar and aware of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit revealing things to us, He said He will disclose things that are to come. Well, you know, I just don't know what the, what, what the future holds. He does. He does, and he's in me. Why would he keep that from me? He's not playing some game with us. He's already created the future, and he lives in you and I. He's here to reveal the future to us. 
We're here. We, we have the ability to know what's out there. Can you say amen? Now turn to Romans 4, and I'll end with this. Romans 4. In verse 18, now here, we all know the story, most of you know the story of Abraham, and when you read in the Old Testament about Abraham, you see some things that weren't all that great about Abraham, you know, especially when he was Abram. God said, I've, I've, I've called you the father of nations told you to leave your land and go do what I tell you to do. And he kind of did that, but he said, leave all your family behind. And then a few verses later, we see Lot trailing behind him. You know, I remember one time I was reading that and I'm thinking to myself, I thought he wasn't supposed to take any of his family. What's the deal with that? There's Lot. And then, then out of fear, he lies to a king and almost, you know, gets himself and his wife killed as a result of it. And then, realizing that he's the father of nations and he has no kids, you know, listens to his wife when she tells him to go and, you know, just lie with, your, with the maid and, and, uh, and we'll create our lineage that way. And, you know, we know what, that's, what that produced. We're still having problems with that lineage. You know, humanity is because of what happened there. But it was Abraham's doing. So in the Old Testament, we see his dirty laundry just kind of aired out there. And the things that he did. And the things that weren't right in his life. And it took him 25 years to come to a place where he began to observe and do as a result of his meditation what God had told him to do. And so when we read Romans 4, starting with verse 18. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. I mean, he's almost 100, his wife's 90, and they're going to have a baby. I mean, you know, <laughs> who contrary to hope, in hope, believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, not being weak in faith, because see, see, there was some time in the 25 previous years that the boy was weak in faith. I mean, really weak. I mean, weak, 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 weak. Huh? When you're a liar and a cheater and, and an adulterer, and, and God's called you to be the father of nations. It either looks like God made a mistake or you're just still working on some things. Amen? So he said, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. He didn't consider his own 99-year-old body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, she'd never had children before and she's 90 years old now. He did not waver at the promise of God through what? Through what? Unbelief, disbelief, skepticism. Through he, so he did not waver at what 
at the promise of God through what he saw and what he heard, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, verse 21, and being fully convinced, absolutely fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform it. That what God had promised, he was able to perform. But what it said was, he didn't waver at the promise of God. So what happened? So through his hearing, through his meditation, through his observing, through becoming confident in the things of God, the promise and the truth of the word was more real than looking at his body, looking at the circumstances or anything else. The promise had become more real. Now listen to me. I'm just telling you. The reason that unbelief must be destroyed in your life is because the process of destroying unbelief causes the promise to become reality. And when the promise is reality, meaning it's like you already have it, then you'll see it. But when you're trying to get God to do something, so much, so many, so much of the time, what we're trying to do, because we don't want to spend the time to develop that right relationship, we're trying to get God to bless what we're doing. But if what I'm doing is not developing a relationship with God, then God's probably not in a lot of the things that humanity tries to do. And then we get mad at God, we get mad at the pastor, we get mad at neighbors or people that told us about God or whatever. We get mad at everybody else because it didn't work, but the process is what we've talked about in the last three weeks. We hear, we meditate, we study, we observe to do, and then we act on it. And we keep acting on it. And you don't see anything happen, you keep acting on it. And you keep releasing it. And you keep declaring that what God had promised he's able to perform. And what happens is it becomes that way where you believe and it's more real to you what's inside of you than what you see out here. You know, for over 35 years, I've been, I, at different times, I've tried to find out some other way to accomplish it, but there is no other way. That's God's way. And there's so much more to it. This is not some exhaustive study on what we're talking about tonight. But the basics, the basics are in the hearing and the studying and the meditating so that you can observe to act. And from that observation desk, I mean, there's a lot that you can take in that you begin to see with these eyes in here. And you begin to understand with the, the knowing on the inside of here instead of your head screaming out telling you it can't be done. There's not anything that can't be done. Amen? The Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. I shall not be in desperation. I shall not be moved by what I see because it's causing me to overcome. You know, I'm so thankful. I had a, I may have told you this story, but I, not long ago, Lee gave me a, a letter from a guy that used to be in our church years ago, and he's in prison. Been in prison for the last five years, and got a couple of letters from him through the years. And uh, 
And he sent me this letter. And in the letter, he said that God had woke him up in the night and he showed him something. And, I, and he said he saw me in this dream. And he said what the Lord showed him was that and, and he was just talking about me, but it's this way with all of us in any situation. But he said what the Lord showed him was that he needed to be grateful for the word that I had sown in him. That's what he wrote in this letter. And he said, I just want to tell you that myself and many other people, their lives have been touched and they're doing things for God because of the seed that you sowed. And he said, here in this Pennsylvania prison, he said, I'm being a witness to other people. I'm, I'm sharing the word with people and it's liberating their lives. And I've never been to Pennsylvania. And people's lives are being liberated and free because of the seed of the word. And the only reason I keep teaching the word is because I keep listening to the word. Right? And the more I listen to the word and I meditate the word, it becomes more real and it makes me want to preach and not just preach from here, but it makes me want to allow what's in me to come out of me to bless other people to advance the kingdom because, I, you know, it's not about me. Life is not about me and it's not about you. Life is about God in us making a difference in the lives of other people. And that's what it's all about. And I thought how many times I've thought about that since I got that letter of how many people they're doing things because of the seed of the word. Do you remember when they were arguing about who was greatest and this? And Paul says, he said, you know what? Here's the deal. One plants and one waters. And God brings the increase. But if you're not planting the word, if you're planting religion or your ideas or, or your thoughts, God can't increase religion. And he can't increase things that are not the revelatory word of God. And that's why you and I have to believe this stuff so that when we're sowing it in other people's lives, it's changing them. It's the seed of the word. And an apple seed is all the bushels that will come off these trees in one seed. There's thousands of bushels in, a, in one little bitty seed. How can it be? But in the seed of the word, is the deliverance for humanity. It gets in your heart, and you believe it, then it gets in someone else's heart, and they believe it, and on and on. <laughs> what amazing thing. Kingdom is amazing. It's amazing, the kingdom of God. So don't quit hearing, and don't quit studying and meditating, and don't quit acting on what it is that you're getting and observing that the Holy Spirit is showing you. Amen? Father, tonight we just thank you for the power and the influence that your word has. Lord, you've created us to be the difference in the earth through your power, through your son, through your spirit, to be the difference. And as we believe you and believe what you've spoken to us, and as we believe and meditate and observe to do. There's not anything that we can't accomplish in the earth with your power and your strength. Father, tonight we love you, we praise you.
We thank you. We thank you for what Jesus did and what he accomplished for us. And we thank you. It was such a time as this. We were created to be alive and to make a difference. Tonight, we bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.